Hoffaday, and welcome to another edition of Live Till 5. I'll be your host today, Lawrence Nangast, for Jared Baldwin, who is normally with us, but he is still off-island and will be until uh, the end of the weekend here, but he will be back with us next Friday, March 3rd. Um, but we're looking forward to a good show today. We'll have a lot of fun topics, uh, talking about some the buck stops here and uh, some things I call off-the-wall statistics, and then also um, my main focus later on will be a little bit of discussion about YouTube. Um, but thank you for joining us today, and we're looking forward to a great show. Peeps flavored Oreos are real, and they're on sale now. Now, Peeps, we generally attribute to being a snack or a sugary candy-ish marshmallow uh, with Easter, and that's what uh, Oreo or Nabisco is trying to pair this with: is this release of Peeps Peep flavored Oreos. Uh, so it'll be basically chocolate, or, or uh, the color looks like it's a vanilla, like a yellow on the outside with pink frosting. I don't even know. That, that sounds like two Oreos to diabetes. I think that would be such a sugary treat. But, uh, hey, you know, dip it in milk, and uh, you still have your classic Oreo taste, just with a whole lot more sugar in the middle. It reminds me of, like, the burger with the two chicken patties as the bun. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that and stuff? Or the taco. Have you been down to Taco Bell recently? They have a chalupa now with the chickens on the outside. The chickens, the the shell. Yeah, KFC did that. They have to just keep upping the ante. I know. And it's never going to stop. I feel bad for bread. I, the bread companies, the bun companies, they're they're losing they're losing out here. It, you feel bad not, for bread? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, they're going to make it, but you've got all of a sudden chicken and no beef, thankfully, but you got chicken shells and chicken buns, and and now all of a sudden bread is wondering where they even fit. I don't know. I don't know. In the in the in human history, has that phrase has ever been, been stated? Uttered I feel bad for bread. I feel bad for well, bread. sometimes you just have to, you know. <laughs> getting a perspective of what it's like that is compassion well no there's a comedian out there that talks about uh you know whoever the cranberry marketer is like whoever markets cranberry is so successful they've got it in everything i I mean it's cran apple cran raspberry cran grape uh all the drinks have cranberry in it but whoever the banana guy is he struggled the the banana (laughs) guy hasn't gotten banana in really anything but a smoothie and even that taste is over so overwhelming they only get in there sometimes but anyways uh enough about the bun i don't know how we got there but all sorts of crazy food items out there these days Uh, well mcdonald's they just released the mac jr and the the what what is uh there's the regular big mac and then there's the super mac or something like that but there's three different versions of of a big mac now is there there's wow. a small one like a junior whopper i didn't know that there's a junior mac now and then they have the regular mac a big mac and then there's like an extra or a super big mac with with double patties and all that so anyways i'm going to leave food for a while i don't know if we'll be back there today at all uh, well when we get to our drinks we will be but here's another off the wall that's what i'm going to call this section off the wall uh, what happens to the losing team's championship shirts? 
then don't they send them to poor kids in Africa or whatever? That's always a exactly. joke. No, I have an and entire article. I have wow. an entire article right here. I'm going to read it right now. After a big game on any sport, fans and players are going to be clamoring for commemorative merchandise. Often just minutes after the game ends to meet the demand and cash in the wallet losing <laughs> word number one euphoria, manufacturers and retailers produce the stock two set of t-shirts, sets of t-shirts, hats and other merchandise, declaring each team the champ. Based on strong series after the Chicago Bears' 2007 NFC Championship win, Sports Authority printed more than 15,000 shirts proclaiming a Bears Super Bowl victory, well before the game ever started. And then the Colts beat the Bears 29-17. to That's a lot of misprinted shirts that can't hit the store shelves and seem like fine candidates for the incinerator instead. For a long time, that's where they went. So there actually was a time where they were just sent to, to be burnt. But with all four major American pro sports leagues, MLB, NFL, NBA, and NHL, requiring the destruction of incorrect postseason apparel. Fortunately, most of the leagues changed the way they do things and started donating the gear. For almost two decades, an international humanitarian aid group called World Vision collected the unwanted items and its distribution center in Pittsburgh, then shipped it overseas to people living in disaster areas and impoverished nations. So after losing Super Bowl, uh, I believe, 43 in 2009, Arizona Cardinals gear was sent to children and families living in extremely poverty in El Salvador. And it goes on, the article goes on to Pittsburgh Steelers stuff. You have a Jets Conference Championship t-shirt here, Tampa Bay. So all the main uh, um, four, the four sports categories or four sports uh, leagues, uh, I guess have hopped on board of this. Let's send them to the the needy nations of the world and and outfit them in, in some losing gear i guess you know what uh i i remember a story of the people handing starting to like there was it was a close game and at the end they thought they were going to win and they started Started handing handing out out the championship gear before the game ended and they had to take it back or whatever yeah i've seen i've seen that with newspapers uh printed with who's going to win yeah that that I that story rings a bell. I don't know how long ago it was, but I'd have to Google it or whatever. But I'm pretty sure that was the story. Is that before the end of the game, they began to yeah. hand out the gear. Yeah, and I've had seen to retrieve it in the NHL. I've seen the Stanley Cup been brought out of the chest on the table. White gloves are on. Yes, and then they pack it back up and it goes. Yeah. So you yeah, never know. That's Sports. Uh, that's one of the enjoyable things about it is you can be a fan, but the fact that the unexpected is always always right there. Yeah. Now, my last part of Off the Wall, that's my, that's my own personal segment here, uh, is, is a section on 15 brainy secrets of Jeopardy winners. So I'm going to start by giving you about seven or eight of them, and then we're going to take a break for Harvest Highlights, uh, and then we'll come back and do the other half probably later on in the show. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep you with bated breath about this geography, or I'm sorry, Jeopardy secrets. I know you're really excited so far. But uh, number one, they don't get much time to rest. Now, this is one I didn't know. Some of these are a little bit obvious. Others, unless you are uh, have attended a, Jeopardy's, a Jeopardy um, show, like live, uh, I wouldn't have known this. Because of Jeopardy's tight filming schedule, they only film two days a week. Five 30-minute shows are taped in a row with minimal breaks. Winners don't have much time to bask in victory after conquering their competitors. You only have about 10 minutes between winning your first show and appearing in your second, explains uh, one, one of the winners uh, in a 2010 episode. Uh, Castrodale, the winner, tells Mental Floss that winners are taken backstage to change clothes, get makeup reapplied, then they begin taping the next game. So 
that is an illusion uh, they have you believing that it's kind of not not live. I, maybe you would assume it's live, but you'd think it's at least different days of episodes. They're changed clothes, looking you know in a different uh, reapplied makeup. Um, number two, some of them spend years preparing for the show. Some contestants spend years studying before they even try to qualify. After passing an online test, aspiring contestants are invited to an in-person audition. If they do well, they may be invited to appear on the show. In the interim, some winners prepare by watching Jeopardy each night and making flashcards to memorize facts about everything from the U.S. presidents and state capitals to ancient Greek gods. So you basically go back to school a little bit here uh, on fact learning and fact finding and try to memorize as much as you can uh, because, again, Jeopardy Jeopardy as a trivia show uh, is at its root just a fact fact question uh, trivia. That's that's it. Wow. I mean, it's... Uh, it's pretty straightforward. There's not a whole lot of uh, gimmicks with the game. It's it's just ask the question. You ask, it, well, actually, you say an answer, and they have to fill it in with answering with a question. Yeah. Uh, number three, it's all about timing the buzzer. Um, they talk about David Walter, who won here. He says, you buzz in too early, and you're locked out of ringing in again for a crucial split second. Buzz in too late, and, well, you're too late. So because timing the buzzer is a crucial part of winning the game, Prior winners have written in-depth articles offering advice on how to master it with proper thumb placement and hand position. Whoa! I, they are. That's they're not. They're not wrong. A lot of strategy. You st- could be strategy. strategy yeah, <laughs> stratego. Uh, <laughs> if if you could be the smartest one on the set, but if you can't get your buzzer to go off first, you you can never show that. Hmm. Uh, if you're on a winning streak, it helps to be an interesting person. Whether you love or hate the show, small talk. Show's small talk segment in which Trebek spends a few seconds chatting with each contestant. Jeopardy winners need to have a new interesting uh, antidote to share for each game they play. So you think back to uh, Jennings. Um, oh, I can't remember his first name now. I just looked at his his uh, his picture. Uh, the guy that won was it seventy eight straight? Um, Brian Jennings. Oh man, he's in. He's in here. When I see his name, I'm gonna be. Uh, I'll, rem- I'll I'll let you know. But um, but I can't think of his name right now. Well, uh, I can't not, remember his first name. It's, it's Jennings. Whalen Jennings or Peter Jennings? No, those it's are, not Peter. Th- those are those are different. <laughs> I guys. think it's actually Brian, maybe. Um, but I can't locate his name right now. So when I find it, I'll let you know. But anyways, uh, you think about the amount of shows he was in. Seventy-eight shows straight. He won seventy-eight times or seventy-seven times, I guess. And uh, every time uh, Alex came up to him and just asked him a little bit about who he was, you got to have a little he had story. To have a little story to come up with. So the more the more interesting you are, the more tidbits of information you can offer, uh, the more exciting it is. Number five, they're comfortable with betting, uh, whether they bet all their money on the daily doubles and final Jeopardy, or are more ca- cautious. Winners need to be okay with wagering large sums of cash on their answers. Uh, is is what that is going to be on. Number six, they rehearse in realistic conditions. So when they when they um, they come in there, they talk about people practicing with friends, like people in the room, uh, very quiet, just watching them answer. Uh, then they they'll have people shine lights in their face, so they have the illusion of um, of the TV cameras that are are the TV lights, hmm. studio lights that are in their face. All these different things they try to put themselves in the most realistic place. Uh, they don't act like typical game show winners. Now, you ever you ever watch Jeopardy a whole lot? I've I, seen it. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. If you ever watch the winners, <laughs> it, they just smile. At yeah, the end, it's not right? a typical. 
you know, skipping around, jumping. Like, the price is right. You watch the price is right. And people lose their minds. Yeah, lose their mind. They're, like, shaking their head and, and, and hair. And win a tenth of what the Jeopardy people Yeah, they just win. come. That's just getting their name called. I mean, I the know. price is right. They just get their name called, and they're going ballistic. It's just the ethos that you create within yeah. the studio. Then they're out of breath yeah. and can barely give their money number. Yeah, different kind of shows. So, then Jeopardy. <laughs> Contestants on game shows such as The Price is Right and Wheel of Fortune are dem- uh, demonstrative. They often jump, shout, and clap when they win. The contestant coordinators at Jeopardy want enthusiasm, but they know they're handpicking the nation's smartest academics, tech geeks, and librarians, generally introverts in other words. So they lower their expectations and just ask the winners for big smiles. So I thought that was pretty funny. I didn't ever even thought about that comparing. But you know, in reality, they're winning, like you said, more money than other game shows, but... Uh, and then um, we're going to stop there. I'm going to finish the other half uh, probably later on in the show. I'll keep it around and because uh, I know you're, <laughs> you're riveted on these Jeopardy facts, I can tell. Uh, but we'll be back in a couple minutes for some Harvest highlights, and then we'll pick up after that with the buck stops here, some of this day in history, and, and then what's, of course, in my coffee. Stay tuned. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. more live till five and uh, for those of you that caught the beginning of the show uh, i was just talking to our our radio manager up here we, <laughs> it's always fun with radio because we have headphones on and we can't always hear or, or we're not always looking directly at each other either and um, so we had a good time there at the beginning getting on track but uh, if you're just joining us now thanks for being with us we had a little fun with some off the wall uh i guess stranger than fiction but it was just some random random things out there like peeps oreos and stuff like that but we're in our section now called the buck stops here i believe jared started this probably about uh the beginning of the school year i think september-ish doesn't do it every week but what he has here is it's words of wisdom from the desks of 77 successful people and so when they mean the buck stops here is the buck stops with these successful people and what they say uh have some weight has some weight there are usually some pretty good things here well we're going to go with henry Flagler, a tycoon real estate promoter, railroad developer, and John D. Rockefeller's partner in Standard Oil, probably a name you're familiar with. Henry Flagler was a key figure in the development of the eastern coast of Florida along the Atlantic Ocean and was founder of what became the Florida East Coast Railway. He's also known as the father of Miami, Florida. So this guy is has his roots in Florida and a very, very large thumbprint there as well. It was Flagler's idea to use the rebate system to strengthen Standard Oil's position against competitors in the transporting enterprises alike. The, uh, though the refunds issued amounted to no more than 15 cents, they put the company in position to outcompete other oil refineries. As the company grew through eff- effective business practices, it developed other strongly anti-competitive strategies, including a systematic program of offering to purchase competitors. Flagler kept a quotation on his desk that summarized the standard oil philosophy, and this is what I'm going to leave with you today as our, as our buck. Do unto others as they would do unto you, and do it first. So, 
that, that it's interesting. It's not quite the Bible verse, but it does have the idea behind it is treat others how you want to be treated, but don't wait for them to do something kind to you. It's a good you, do, thought. you do the thing first. So right. do it how you want to be treated, and you take the initiative on that. So uh, these successful gentlemen that he's read uh, many a quote from, Henry Flagler's just another. Uh, be be proactive in your actions towards other people and your good actions and your whether it be service, whether it be just a smile on a sidewalk. Uh, one of the practices I always try to uh, do is to greet people first um, when I see them in the morning, especially in the morning. People in the morning, they you know sometimes still even though they might be up, they're not really awake. Uh, so if you greet them first and get them get them thinking and, and talking, uh, that helps sometimes. So that's one of the things I try. Uh, people like to be greeted, especially by name. Uh, that always that always helps uh, get a day started right. The next section is also another familiar staple of our program. Has been since um, Mr. Nicholas Brown um, started this, probably about a year and a half ago, maybe even longer uh, ago than that. But it's our idiom section, and uh, he used to play a game with it. Today, I'm just going to give you about five or six different idioms. See, maybe you've heard of some, maybe not. Uh, these all start with N, as in Nancy. Um, but the first one we have here is name is mud. Yeah. Everyone knows that there was a tiger who started the fight during the game. Now that we're disqualified, his name is mud. So basically, your name's worth no nothing. It's 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 not no good. Probably doomed. If this show doesn't go well today, Lawrence, your name is <laughs> yeah. going to be mud. We didn't start <laughs> off super, super good. It started to get muddy early. Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And really, if you think back in history, uh, whether it be the Industrial Revolution or around that era or really any time in history, um, this is this holds true. It's an idiom, but really it's, it's not just a saying that doesn't hold a lot of weight. It's really pretty meaningful as far as... Um, as far as history is concerned, uh, inventiveness or creativity stimulated by need or difficulty. Uh, need something like a hole in the head. Uh, my grandma would say that actually quite a bit. I need that like a hole in the head. Uh, it was usually referring to like a chocolate cake. Um, and sometimes I still say that. But, you know, nobody needs a hole in the head. And so this would be you we, have no need for something. We use a different one at our house, which comes uh-huh. from Charles Dickens, oh. which is if that happens, I'll eat my own head. <laughs> I've never heard that's, that before. That's, that's that's a Charles I'll Dickens. Eat my own head. That's from uh, that's from Oliver Twist. Yeah. And so the one of the friend, and it's a long story. Anyway, one of the characters says that if uh, if uh, Oliver Twist brings back the money that he's being sent on an errand with, to get, yeah. he'll eat his own head. And of course, he doesn't return, and it's yeah. it's it's a long story. So he read read the book or uh, yeah. watch uh, one of the movies. Watch the movie. Yeah, we just yeah. performed that last year. I remember that. Uh, last view here: uh, a needle in a haystack. Uh, that one is probably used uh, very, very commonly. Uh, it's very difficult to find something. You know, you go to a, um, a a very populated area looking for some somebody. Now, I'll tell you, cell phones have changed all of that. Um, I remember being a, a child going into a very populated place with one of my parents while they looked for the other. Uh, sometimes it, it got needle in the haystack like. I mean, yeah. there, you were walking forever, it seemed like. Of course, I was on my little legs back then. And so you feel like you're just searching and searching. Today, and that's like the mall, everybody had times, be back here or, or else. Uh, now it's just, well, here's where I am, and we'll, we'll meet up. Okay, we'll meet up over there. It's almost instantaneous communication wherever you're at. So uh, 
not as difficult. But there are still other things, like when a contact falls out of somebody's eye, that could almost be like finding a needle in a haystack. Um, or next, if you dropped an actual needle in a haystack. Then it would definitely, that would, definitely that would also fit work. that description. Yeah. Uh, nickel, and a, nickel and dime. Uh, this is an older phrase. A lot of these are, but when you nickel and dime somebody, you kind of take them for all they're worth. Or, or um, oh, that's that's not what it says in here. It says it's unimportant, small time, trivial, petty. So I guess nickel and dime. When I think of somebody nickel and diming me, they're they're gonna they're gonna charge me for every little thing. Take every one of my nickels and dimes. I I would think more toward uh, like when someone nickels and dimes you. Like if you go to a, you go to get your oil changed and they say, right. "Well, you need a this and you yes. need a that. Yeah, you need and a new air filter. You, yeah." And it's not really you don't really. It's just that they're trying to yeah take every little thing. Yeah. And, and it's not important. That's where my mind went. But yeah. in here, they have it being small, like a nickel and dime is small. So hmm. interesting. And lastly, we have nitty gritty, nitty gritty. Uh, when you r- write your report, stick to the nitty-gritty. Uh, that would be what the news, that's what the media wants. They want the nitty-gritty. They want the details. They want what's going to sell, what's going to get attention. Uh, and that's the nitty-gritty. Um, my last my last section, and then we'll take another break here in a few minutes, and then we'll come back with what's in my coffee, is one that I talked about two weeks ago. Actually, maybe three. I think Jared was even here when I said this. Is I got a new book. Uh, it's actually an older book, but it's new to me. It was given to me by a, a listener. And it's called Book of the World's Worst Decisions. So we're going to read about two today, but I'll bring this up occasionally. I don't know if I'll do it every week. Hopefully this doesn't Um, turn out to be one of them. Yeah, well, that's exactly what Jared said when (laughs) I said that. He said, yeah, this show has to be in that book. Oh, Uh, That's why, of course, Jared to say that. But but I'm going to read a couple of the stories today. They're not real long. One's a little longer than the other. uh, And then we'll take a break. But this is a, a book full of world's worst decisions. The body in question. In 1910, Olaf Olafsson, a Swedish citizen, fell upon hard times and decided to sell his body for medical research after his death to the Karolinska Institute of Stockholm. The following year, he inherited a fortune and resolved to buy himself back. The institute refused to sell its rights to his body, went to court, and won possession of it. Moreover, the Institute obtained damages since Olaf had had two teeth pulled out without asking their permission as ultimate owners of his body. Poor, poor Olaf. Poor Olaf. Hard times, sells his body for research, gets enough money to buy it back, loses the court case over it, and then has to pay on top of that because he, he damaged his body by getting a couple teeth pulled. Oh, boy. And then lastly, we have This Land is My Land. The territorial expansion of the United States owed much to the courage and pioneering spirit of its citizens, but the contribution made by other people's mistakes was also considerable. One of the first victims claimed by the talent for making a good deal that the new world inspired in its settlers was an anonymous Indian chief who, in 1926, sold the island of Manhattan to Governor Peter Minuet for $24 worth of axes, kettles, and fabric. Now, Manhattan is the large island uh, that's, that makes up about four-fifths of New York City, uh, a very large island and, and really an important one as far as New York and, and things like that. But it was bought by the governor of New York back, back then for 24 bucks, $24 in axes, kettles, and fabric. Not a bad deal. <laughs> Moving on. 
A city block in midtown Manhattan passes hands these days for around $80 million. Even allowing for inflation, Governor Minuet got himself a bargain. In 1803, the Emperor Napoleon, who had his mind on European affairs at the time, decided to dispense with France's American possession. He sold the entire Mississippi Valley, what we now know today as the Louisiana Purchase, an area of 828,000 square miles, extending from Canada to the Gulf of Mexico and westward to the Rockies, to the infant American Republic. By this deal, the Louisiana Purchase, as it was called, the president, Thomas Jefferson, doubled the size of his country, and the price was only $15 million. Now, this story, uh, I have uh, actually a couple more uh, spots of, of, of stories here, but I'm going to pause on this one. This one is very interesting if you know the story around it. Is in 1803, Napoleon was in, in not quite the height, but very close to the height of his empire. He hadn't really gone out and conquered a whole lot yet, but this 15 million was going to change that. And he needed a he needed a quick sale on something. He needed he needed funds because remember the previous decade was the French Revolution, they could barely afford bread. So the people were were crashing on the castle on per, the Palace of Versailles, screaming at the king and queen and eventually killing them for lack of food and protection and other things that they demanded. Ten years later, you have Napoleon now wanting to wage war on all of Europe, and he needs money, and he needs it quick. Well, what does he have that can sell and not really make a big deal? Well, let's get rid of that big old swamp land over there in the Mississippi. $15 million sounds like a good price. Well, that deal comes over to Thomas Jefferson, and Jefferson said, Napoleon is going to act quick on this. He's going to find somebody. He needs the money now. If I don't buy it, it may be gone. It, you know, it could be Spanish, it could be Italian, it could be any other country that could afford. So Thomas Jefferson, knowing that, knew he had to make the decision pretty much overnight, if you will. He couldn't go to the Senate, he couldn't go to the Congress, he couldn't open up the floor to you know get debate on this thing. So he himself actually traveled to France and did the deal without really explaining it to government. So could you imagine that happening today? Fifteen million, you know, presidents spend that you know in a couple of minutes today, but back then. That's a big ordeal, as you just doubled your country's size for $15 million and really didn't tell a whole lot of people about it. I don't it. think that would be too acceptable today, to be honest. Yeah, still maybe not. I, I'm just saying $15 million that you spend within 48 hours, pretty much you and maybe a little bit of your cabinet knows about. Uh, it's very interesting. It's very well, interesting. So, yeah, you're right, though. I, I still think well, it would be right it, to the coal. It wouldn't be $15 million. I, I mean, it would have to be a, a sizable sum, but yeah. if... If the uh, United States just decided to buy a piece of land, you know that doesn't happen too much anymore. There's not much to people buy. People don't try to sell off parts of their country too much anymore. No, I think I think land the technology is the new the new land. I mean, people sell yeah. planes for quadruple what that was purchased for. So yeah, you've got pieces of technology that are worth more than land uh, was back then. Uh, the last couple pieces of this, this land is my land. By the way, these are all pieces of how um, America acquired American land. On March 30th, 1867, an agreement was made between Tsar Alexander II of all the Russias <laughs> and the American Secretary of State, W.H. Seward. Now, if you've ever heard of that name, what Seward? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Seward. Seward. Yeah, Seward. Yeah. Seward's what? What is normally with Seward's Seward? Folly. Seward's Folly. Very good. Of course. Uh, Sebastian, do you know Seward's Folly? What is that referring to? Absolutely no idea. Okay, perfect. What? You're about to learn something new. <laughs> Whereby the United States... Oh, you know why. Well, I mean, this oh, is a little I closer to your home. Yeah. yeah, it was your home for a while. 
uh, whereby the United States purchased the territory of Alaska. Surveying all the Russias, the Tsar had decided that this that his empire could do not, do without this remote, frozen, and generally unpromoting, uh, uh, sorry, unpromising specimen, and he disposed of it for a mere seven point two million. Now Alaska about um, adds fifty percent to to the land mass of America. It's about half the size of the continental United States for seven point two million. At the time, this seemed this is also. Um, in the 1800s, so it's not, you know, it's a lot of money, but it's not that far far ago. <laughs> At the time, this seemed a stiff price to many Americans, for whom many years referred to Alaska as Seward's Folly or Seward's Icebox. The Tsar's error became manifest nearly 20 years later when, in 1896, gold was discovered in the territory. Alec MacDonald, nicknamed King of the Klondike, hit Pater and play, parlayed his load into $20 million. So nearly tripled. In one finding, nearly tripled the price that Alaska was bought for. A century later, black gold slash oil was struck in Alaska's North Slope, and it became once more the scene of a stampede for mineral wealth. Um, there's a couple others like this um, uh, that are in this part. I might read them later and not this week, but uh, maybe another time I'll That's come up. That's just the beginning of the natural resources in Alaska. Too. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Just, the list goes on and on and on. What from- I always wondered is is where that where that oil specifically came from. A lot of the oil in the Middle East makes sense. Yeah? Why? Well, because I think that's where... Most of the people lived and, and animals lived when the flood happened. I, to me, oh, I think right. that's okay. where a lot of the oil came from. Oh, I see. Uh, is, is, the, is, is, oh. is that. Uh, that's where I think where other places have it. I'm, I'm interested whether it was created there or whether there's been some some uh, reason for it to now be there. Well, there's a um, lot. Because yeah. there's, there's all there, uh, they've done surveys of oil where they can't drill right now. Right. Uh, where they have well, billions, yeah, I heard of billions of barrels. Alaska alone could yeah. s- supply America for years, for decades, yeah. uh, really, uh, just on its own. Yeah. But th- th- those, uh, those resources, we don't have like that. Not every resource is that plenteous uh, that America has access to. Well, you know, you, we got the Dakotas now too. Uh, like they're just recently getting into the. Oh yeah, oil yeah that's that's heated there. That uh, that who knows. Um, Boom towns who knows, in the yeah. Dakotas yeah. at this point. Boom yeah. town, yeah, 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 they are forty niners. I mean, yeah, they're trying to. Their their um, towns are growing by six hundred and eight hundred percent a year. Yeah, um, because of the growth in oil. That's amazing. amazing. Well, I know I, had, I knew some missionaries that wanted to try and get out there because yep. they knew it was like a big place happening, and people were living in trailers and tents out in this very cold environment. Yeah, this right, place. It's crazy. So, well, when we come back, we'll finish our our first hour with the two segments of what's in my coffee and this day in history. But you've been listening to Live Till Five. My name is Lawrence Dangas. In case you're confused, uh, Jared will be back with us next week. He's been off island. But we'll go ahead and take a short break here. Stay with us. We'll have more to come when we come back.
And we're back with a little more Live Till 5, uh, the final segment before we hit the top of the hour. Uh, if you've just now been joining us, this is our regular Friday afternoon, 3 to 5 show, Live Till 5, normally hosted by Jared Baldwin, but he's in the States, actually on his way back via Hawaii um, this weekend. He'll be back joining us with the first show of March uh, next Friday. Also, um, if you're unable to catch the whole show and would like to hear more of it, it'll be on uh, Rebound tomorrow at from noon to 2, and then also Sunday night from 7 to 9. Uh, also, if you're interested in listening to it <clears throat> in other sources, uh, we do have it played on um, our radio station, of course, 88.1 KHMG, but then also the iTunes, um, I'm sorry, the TuneIn app, and uh, also our website. You can access uh, KHMG uh, website there and, and, and access the radio station through that. So and there's a couple other ways through uh, iTunes and other apps that you can download, but we uh, always appreciate any listener giving their feedback and, and letting us know what they enjoy about the show. And, uh, of course, Jared will be back, and we'll be back things to normal. Things will be back to normal next week. But uh, we've enjoyed uh, Sebastian hosted last week, and uh, Mr. Chris Harper hosted a couple weeks ago, and I'm here this week. So we, we've muddled through without uh, – Without our captain, we got some but, feedback uh, from from uh, Sebastian about his own show. He said it was good. Yes, yes, it, it was, was real good. Yeah, yeah, real but good. you know what? You're reminding me of how I, you know, kind of missed all these things that you just said. I did not mention that at all. No, it's it's okay. <laughs> it, it, on my first time, I I almost just stared at the corner and tried to be so focused on saying anything correctly. Uh, you know, it just it kind of when you don't do it a whole lot, it, it's not a practice that you're doing regularly talking on the radio is uh, an interesting thing um interesting um ability i, I would say I, ability. I do it every day and if you take a break one day no joke yeah you, it starts to degrade a little bit right you can't think i it would really say it's does. like public speaking i mean it, yeah. in, in a sense it is public speaking but even with people in front of you if you're not used to doing that very often that can really shake you a little bit so uh radio would be about about the same thing, uh, just a microphone right in your face. Uh, anyways, I'm going to do uh, this. I'm sorry, not this day in history. We're going to do that after we do a little bit of what's in my coffee mm. or what's in my drink. So go ahead and play that. This segment is brought to us by Hebrews Worldwide Coffee Shop and Bookstore. Oh, a little bringing in the Georgia Mail. Sorry about That's that. That's a new one. That's a little more peppy than we're used to. Um, uh, Hebrews Worldwide Coffee Shop and Bookstore, best little coffee shop on Guam, offering an endless variety of coffee, tea, baked goods, Christian music, books, and gifts, including even Yankee Candles are down there. I like it a lot. I do go there every day. Uh, recently, we've put on some T-shirts for sale, uh, some new Eagle shirts that have our new logo, uh, Eagle logo on the front, and then stickers. Uh, we are Harvest stickers, stickers are on sale. Yeah, we we brought those in about a week or a, a week or two ago. Uh, very inexpensive, two dollars for a smaller Eagle head sticker, or we have a larger. Um, Larger one for $4. So, again, I, I just like seeing uh, paraphernalia out there, whether it be in a shirt or a sticker or on a water bottle, uh, whatever it may be. I always uh, like seeing support for Harvest and things like that. You had a really good quote on uh, two weeks ago <laughs> oh, on, that I just laughed and laughed afterwards. You said you said uh, that at, uh, at Hebrews they had various canisters and canteens. <laughs> Did I say that? Which, yeah, various, various canisters, canisters and, and canteens. canteens. So then when I went to Hebrews, I said to Jeremy, I said... Oh, I, heard, I did. I said, you, <laughs> I heard you have various canisters and canteens. Yeah, they're they're here. they're for sale on the top shelf. Yeah. It's actually more like um, tumblers tumblers and... Um, French presses. French presses well. and, and some other 
canisters and canteens. I, mean, when I was here by myself. I was editing the thing, and you said canisters and canteens, and I really just busted up laughing. Yeah, because you were hosting, and you were funny. in the zone. You were in the zone when you were hosting, so it, it was an editing laugh. Those are always that? good. Was uh, I here for that? I think it had been two weeks ago. It was two weeks ago. I think it was. I think you were here for that. Okay. Well, anyways, we've digressed from even the segment we're on. We've forgotten the music, forgotten the intro. No, we're good. We're good. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about what's in my coffee. Sebastian, why don't you go ahead and give us a heads up? This is a chocolatey liquid that has little bits of chocolate in it. But it's actually, I actually know exactly what it is because I've had one multiple times recently. Hmm. And I won't say today, but you know, within the <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not. <laughs> Multiple chocolate times in sugar one day overload. Is a too much, but you know, um, I, I believe this is a Java chip, but I don't really know what a Java chip is. But it's got chocolate. It's a frap. Yeah. Java chip. Java frap. chip. Frap. But Java. Where does the Java? Come? Java's coffee. Is it? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. You didn't know Java was copy? I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> okay. things. He's learning about Seward and Java. We're, this is educational. <laughs> I I represent the community that's listening that doesn't really understand hey that's okay <laughs> i we, am <laughs> is that right yeah i'm hoping we don't have, have any me, listeners okay? that just shut it off <laughs> sorry <laughs> all right chris go ahead and share what you're uh, drinking okay well i don't know i don't get these cold i have a cold drink it's kind of a light brown drink mm. it's got a lot of whipped cream on top mine did do and it's i don't i don't get these kind of drinks so and it's a cold drink it's it is very sweet, but I this is good. I mean, I really like this, and I'm not sure what the hmm. I'm not sure what the flavor is. Is it just chocolate? Does it have coffee in it too? No, I don't believe. If hmm. there's coffee in it, it might I'm be just it might be a chilled it. chocolate or a chilled chocolate frap. I don't know if they if they have that, but that's kind of what it looks like. I don't know if this is chocolate though. Oh, it, and if it is chocolate, there is some other flavor in it. Hmm. So I'd, I'd be it surprised. It could be the Rolo or something. I don't know. We're about well, to find the out. The thing about it is, you know, I drink things and I eat things and I don't know what I'm drinking and yeah, eating. So I am, I'm, the, I'm the worst at, the, at, at uh, what's in my beverage or whatever. This is I, called. unlike them, have a, a vanilla looking beverage. Um, and it's very, it's like white with whipped cream on top. But if you want like... A very vanilla flavored frap. This is it. The, I, I believe it's called the vanilla frap. Is pretty much what the name of it is. But um, it's like melted ice cream, basically, is what I'm drinking wow. here. So it's pretty tasty. Melted vanilla ice cream. Number one, uh, I believe, is Sebastian. That is the Java chip oh. with caramel. What? Uh, what? It's also called the Micronesian. Really? They can't just keep messing with me like that. Well, they added caramel in there, and so it's the Java chip with caramel. Uh, number two is you. It is just taro with coffee. Taro. So it has coffee. It's see, taro see what with saying? coffee. I don't it's know called what I'm the drinking. Romo. It is so, good though. I don't know if our brother's down the hall here, but this is called the Romo. Must be after him. I almost wish he'd come in here and explain where he got this idea. If it's called after him, if it's called, if it's named for him, for Ray's Romo. Yeah, it must be Ray's or or Brienne, I guess, or one of the kids. Oh, I actually think. Grace has ordered that before, and that's why it's called. It, well, that's it's what I'm good. thinking. It's really good. Yeah, I might have to try that. That yeah. actually intrigues me uh, as to whether or not uh, I'd like it. But hey, if Chris and Romo are liking it, I could probably, I could probably like it. Uh, and then we have number three is mine is the vanilla bean frap, uh, which is again, it basically if you want a melted bowl of vanilla ice cream in a cup, nailed it right here. Uh, they said Frappy Friday, 
That is very very sweet. Frappy Friday. And that's what we had. (laughs) Three fraps to go. Now, we have about seven minutes. And I'm going to do this day in history in about seven minutes. We were going to talk about some spring break plans or stories uh, since I won't host between now and then. But I'm going to go ahead and do this day in history. And then we'll talk about those after the top of the hour. So in 303, first official Roman edict for persecution of Christians issued by Emperor Diocletian. Uh, again, this will go back and forth for some number of years as far as the persecution of Christians when it gets to the Byzantine Empire and Justinian and, and Constantine have a little bit more patience and, and care and protection for the Christians. But right now it got very heated, uh, which is why when in the Acts, uh, the book of Acts and others, you have uh, a lot of men in jail or being persecuted and killed for the cause of Christ. Diocletian is one of the ones that issued the order for that. Uh, 1208, St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, 26 years old, received his vocation in the Porciucola, Italy. Now, if I'm not mistaken, he is one of the monks that came up with, I believe, um, is one of the, the one of the main guys that came up with the story of the manger and the fact that um, the manger that it's made out of wood. He came mm-hmm. up with the idea to make, because the rock... Okay, let me start over. The manger... In, in, in Nazareth, or, or I'm sorry, in, in Bethlehem, Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Would, would probably more than likely have been stone, carved out stone uh, that we'd have been laid in. But we associate it as, as wooden with hay in it because that sort of stone or the ability to use that to demonstrate the manger scene wasn't re- prevalent in, in France and other European countries. So they just made it out of wood because forests and trees were. And I think Francis of Assisi is the guy that's at least one of the men partially responsible for that changeover uh, into being a wooden manger as opposed to a stone manger. Uh, anyways, so uh, all that to say, there's, there's France of Assisi. 1528, Battle of Pavia, Holy Roman Emperor Charles V's troops beat the French. French King Francois I captured 15,000 killed or wounded in that day. Um, very big battle that we probably don't know a whole lot about or hear a ton about. Uh, even though these things happen. Uh, 1868, U.S. House of Representatives vote to 126 to 47 to impeach President Andrew Johnson. Uh, I believe there's only been three, maybe four, impeached presidents, and then only, I think, two have been made to resign or forced to resign because of this. Um, And remember, impeaching is not removal from office. It's actually to be put on trial uh, by the Congress, by the Senate and, uh, and the different branches of government. But uh, that happened back 1868, February 24th. Yep, 1868. Uh, <clears throat> last few things here before we get to the top of the hour, last couple minutes, is uh, 1960, I'm sorry, 1976, uh, Leonid Brezhnev opens up the 25th Congress of CPSU, um, or I believe that's part of the Russian um, um, government. And then uh, 1977, U.S. President Jimmy Carter announces U.S. foreign aid will consider human rights. Um, so very interesting there at that time of, uh, of time of history. Uh, a lot going on in that. And then we have um, <clears throat> 18, 1989, Iran's, I don't even know if I want to try to pronounce his name, offers a $1 to $3 million bounty on Salman Rashidi's death due to his novel, Satanic Verses. Oh, um, isn't that Salman Rushdie? 
Yeah, it's Salman Rushdie. Yeah, Salman Rushdie. Yeah. Oh, okay. But yeah. Iran's this guy Ayatollah Khomeini. Yeah, uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank you, man yeah. alive. <laughs> I, I I don't hear of all. I these was like, news I think I, I know this it. story, but. Well, when yeah. I hear something, it's one thing, but reading it sometimes off a page. Oh is well, like, sometimes yikes. you haven't seen it. You know, <clears throat> sometimes you haven't seen it in print. Yeah, exactly. You've just heard it, exactly. and that's what makes it difficult. Um, and then we have 2002 55th British Film and Television Award, Lord of the Rings, the best Fellowship of the Ring, uh, best film. Uh, Peter Jackson was the director. And then 2008, Fidel Castro retires as president of Cuba after nearly 50 years. And now he did just, uh, I believe, pass away about two months ago, maybe three now, um, back at the end of 2016. Uh, but that's it for this day in history. Uh, that was a pretty rushed version of it. But... Um, Thank you for joining us in this first hour. This has been Live Till 5. Uh, we will look forward to another hour of, of programming. But uh, this has been your host, Lawrence Nangas, in place of Jared Baldwin, who will be back with us next week. But please stay tuned over the next uh, five minutes for the news, and we'll join back uh, after the top of the hour. back with a second hour of live till five uh, i've been the host this week we kind of had a revolving chair here the last three weeks well jared's been gone the normal host of this show this friday afternoon show live till five uh, if you're just joining us now missed the first hour that's okay it will be playing again uh, tomorrow from noon to two and on sunday night from seven to nine uh, also, if you wouldn't be able to hear it in your car, maybe you won't be going anywhere, there are uh, some apps that you can download, like the TuneIn Radio uh, radio app. You can find our 88.1 on there. Uh, you can also go to our website, khmg.org. Um, dot .org, thank you. Right. And uh, find find the uh, show there and be able to listen to it. Uh, we also have podcasts of the shows, many shows. I'm not sure how far we go back, but we've been able to have a, uh, many of those. And so... Uh, we, we hope you uh, have enjoyed what you've heard so far, and you're back with us. If you just came in, welcome. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of a catch-up here. I'm actually going to start uh, this time by talking about spring break, which is coming up in two weeks. I don't want to get too distracted or too excited um, because I, I, there's plenty of work to be done between now and then. Uh, another another thing I'd like to make an announcement of is, is our open house. It will actually be a week from Tuesday from 830 to noon. And on Wednesday, 8.30 to noon, March 7th and 8th. So those of you that may be thinking about uh, checking out Harvest or maybe have a friend that you'd like to bring over, uh, please do. 
March 7th and 8th. We'll be having tours, and the gym will be open. The principals will be over in the gym. And um, This is uh, at Harvest Christian this Academy. This will be at Harvest Christian Academy. Thank you. Right. Uh, it'll be over in the FLC, uh, the Family Life Center, which is across from the main part of campus, uh, across the Mashuete Street. But, um, but, but uh, yeah, I, I meant to say that in the first hour, but I'll make an announcement about that now. And I'm sure you'll hear more to come. Uh, different announcements and things, but I'm looking forward to that. Always like meeting new families that are thinking about coming to Harvest, um, and uh, I enjoy talking to them and even giving them a tour of the campus uh, that the Lord's provided us here. So after we get done with that, then we're going to jump in. I'm going to finish my Jeopardy statistics or Jeopardy facts, which I know we were all just so sad I stopped early. Um, and then we're going to jump into the main segment of our second hour, which is going to be about uh, a little bit about the life of of being a YouTuber or YouTube, uh, YouTube internet site itself. Uh, so, Sebastian, you said you had a, a story of sorts about a spring break that you would like to share. So why don't you go ahead and take it away? Oh, okay, my spring... I just remember this one spring break I had in college, all right? <clears throat> and I couldn't wait because I, I wanted to go on an adventure, and an opportunity came up. And that adventure was taking place in Canada. So... What happened was my friend lives in Canada, and I decided to go there for spring break. And let me tell you, it wasn't like springtime there. <laughs> it did not feel like spring. It felt like winter still. It's Canada, dude. I, I know. But <laughs> it, it was like right on the, the border of International Falls. Um, it was yeah. at a place called Fort Francis. Mm. And you know what? When I went there, I had the most amazing water. And you're like, what? Water? And it was like, yeah. That water is so good. I, I was like, I could bottle this stuff and sell it. But you know what? When I came, when I came here, uh, the, the, I in Guam, I went to a family's house to drink. Uh, they they were giving out some bottled water, and I was like, this water tastes so familiar. You know, you wouldn't really think that when you're drinking bottled water. You know, it's like it's bottled water. But I was like, no, I can taste something. I can taste a difference. And I looked, and sure enough, it was from Ontario, Canada. I'm like, oh, and I was taken back. But I had, I had other adventures in Canada other than drinking water. But, I mean, like bowling, <laughs> like Canadian bowling, it's only five pins. Yeah, duck and, pin. Duck pin bowling or yeah. candlestick. And, and like a ball the size of your hand. Yeah, it's like a softball. Yeah. It's a hard, hard softball. And I, I was still pro. Yeah, you were pro at that too, huh? <laughs> he, you are you're just dripping good. with confidence today. Good. I like that, Sebastian. <laughs> He's real good. Yeah. Uh, that, that's another thing. When I went to Ontario, I live about 35 minutes from Canada growing up. Um, we go right across uh, through Port Huron and into Windsor. Well, not Windsor, that's down by Detroit, but um, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> actually, now the Canadian city on the other side of from Michigan. Uh, but where we'd actually go is um, to Stratford, Canada, uh, and they have a play um, theater that's very similar to the Globe, and they do a lot of Shakespeare plays there. And so we'd go for the weekend and go see a Shakespeare play at the at – the, um, Stratford, Canada, and then we would go bowling. Is this uh, Ontario, Stratford, Ontario? Yeah, Stratford, oh, okay. Ontario. Yeah, uh-huh. gotcha. And then we'd also get uh, there. There, it's kind of more of a, a thing. A lot of places now, but back then, I only knew of it being in Canada was getting the fries with the salt and vinegar on it. Yeah. It's also a New oh, England thing, I think. Poutine, poutine, but, uh, yeah, oh, poutine. So we got that in Canada as well as the bowling and a little bit of a play. Tim Hortons, so very cultured. Tim yeah, Hortons. we have Tim Hortons Big in thing. Michigan. They worship Tim Hortons. They have uh, a fantastic <laughs> donut and coffee combo there. Yes. Uh, I, I like it, and they would also put chili in a bread bowl. Uh, yeah, t- good old Timmy's. Uh, so, anyways, um, 
what I'm planning to do in a couple of weeks here, I'm very excited about, is uh, me and my wife are going to go to uh, Thailand, um, Bangkok, actually, for about four or five days and um, be able to take in some cooking classes. <laughs> I don't really know how that'll go. Maybe they'll but, teach you uh, how to uh, make poutine. Yeah, he, that, I would be shocked. <laughs> if that came out, I'd be like, what am I doing here? I could just go to Canada. Um, maybe ride some elephants and, and feed some tigers and do uh, a lot of shopping. I know that's a kind of a big thing there at the floating market and things like that. So I'm really looking forward to that. We'll be, we'll be uh, taking off there about two weeks from this afternoon, actually. Uh, which I can't hardly believe. It seems like we've been talking about it a while, and now it's about to happen. So I'm looking forward to that. Are you guys uh, hanging out here? I'll be uh, editing and producing some radio that shows. so fun. During, during. Stop making us jealous. <laughs> no, I don't know. I might take a day or two off. Sure, I might, sure. I might take some of my days off, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah we'll, use it wisely. We'll see. We will see, yeah. <laughs> I know the riveted to the computer editing is just too much to stay away from, but uh, I guess we'll see. Well, anyway, so I hope that uh, the plans you guys uh, may have for spring break are coming together, but uh, it'll be a fun time, whether it be just of rest, which half of me feels like that's what I should be doing, but we're going to go on an epic adventure and see what we come away with. Well, let me go ahead and finish our Jeopardy statistics or Jeopardy um, little-known facts, secret facts, and then uh, we're going to take a short break and then jump into uh, a few minutes of our conversation on YouTube. So, number nine, they have to keep quiet until their episode airs, which with many TV shows, that's kind of par for the course. Is You run a show that has some sort of unknown result, you have to be quiet. I remember um, you know, people who win different shows, they just have to be quiet. Survivor, uh, I yeah, remember that was all a big, that, that. It was a yeah. big scandal the bachel- when The Bachelorette or Bachelor, those shows, and, and some of them don't even make it till the great reveal, like they're already... They're already broke divorced. Up by the time, well, I don't know if they ever got married, oh. but even oh, their relationship might be over before it even airs. And then oh, they don't like, get married. Well, they do. They're supposed oh. to. Oh, I see. But th- there is a time of engagement, I guess, because that's <laughs> at any where 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 if we digress to. Uh, um, anyways, shows like that where they have yeah. to be secret. Jeopardy's no different. Um, oh, this is what I wanted to say. Most episodes don't air until several months after they've taped. This lag time means that winners need to stay quiet about how they performed, and it can force repeat winners to habitually lie to their coworkers, family, and friends. In 2004, Jennings taped 48 shows before his first episode shared. He'll eventually tape 78, but over half of them were done before even the first one aired. His first episode aired, so he had to keep his, his uh, commute every few weeks from his home in Utah to Los Angeles a secret. So he'd drive over there every couple weeks. Or every uh, once a week, my boss told my coworkers a series of increasingly unplausible lies about my whereabouts every other Tuesday and Wednesday. You'd think computer programmers are all geniuses. No one ever caught on. <laughs> Jennings writes in his website. <laughs> uh, next, they don't get paid for a while, so it's about the same amount of distance between videoing to airing and then from airing to getting paid. So there's decent sizes of uh, chunks of months or time in between these things. Some can buy a house with their prize money. Some have made even in the hundreds of thousands of dollars after winning a couple. They can buy a house. Uh, feedback from Jeopardy fans can be mixed. Thanks to social media, winners face public scrutiny over everything from their appearance to the questions they answer incorrectly. Many internet commentators criticized recent winner Buzzy Cohen for his seemingly smug attitude and flippant response in Final Jeopardy, while others liked his sense of humor. So, who would ever know? You can't please everybody. Uh Winning the show provides lifelong perks. 
um, you could you could end up on David Letterman. You could be reading books uh, on Sesame Street. All things Jennings did after he won. Not uh, anymore. He's retired. Letterman's retired. Yeah. Well, this was back when Jennings <laughs> won. He uh, oh. he went on Letterman show. Watching the show may stress them out. Uh, Chu says that while he was studying for the show, he uh, his life centered on watching and reading about Jeopardy to the de- de- detriment or detriment detriment. Oh my goodness. <laughs> detriment of his other activities but after winning he stopped watching the show to give himself a mental break and jennings admits that winning so many episodes has changed his reaction to seeing it on tv i find that i have a hard time sitting on my couch and lazy lazily shouting out answers at trebek like i used to everything about the show the music the graphics the sound effects causes some fight or flight adrenaline spike in my blood and i become hyper aware of every detail of the show maybe i have post-traumatic stress disorder he says and of course, they can't escape the catchy theme. Uh, one of these ladies, when you go on Jeopardy, people will taunt you with the theme song. It's an unavoidable fact of life. If you do not, if you do well enough, this persists for several years afterwards. She explains, I always watch the show with my friends, and they love teasing me when they know something I don't, she admits. But that's the dun 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 yeah, very famous. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. You know that was le- lovely. That's how good. That's how good this show is going right there. That that Jeopardy that Jeopardy song. Well, uh, that's our that's our start to the second part of the show. When we come back, oh, we'll be in, embarking on our our YouTube journey for about 20 25 minutes. Uh, so stay with us. It'll be a, a fun fact finding experience for anybody who's interested. I might even teach you how to be a YouTuber, though I am not one myself. But stay tuned, we'll be back in a few. Live till five. Hope you've been enjoying your time with us. Been a little scatterbrained uh, today, of course. I just fill it with some different fun co- topics of conversation. You have idioms and buck stops here, a little bit of worst decisions in American history or world's history, I guess. Uh, but right now, we're going to spend a little time. Not that this is extremely important material either, but um, one of the one of the websites out there that interestingly enough, has a lot of influence and a lot of um, power based on the fact that that it it puts people in front of other people as a business uh, is YouTube. And um, it's kind of one of those things where I'll get to a statistic at the end, which I I found. Actually, I'm just going to say now. It is the second largest search engine. Do you know what the first is? Google? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's easy. Yeah, I don't know, but I'll Google it and yeah. find out. Yeah, yeah definitely Bing. Yeah, Google <laughs> Bing it. Or um, Can you imagine Yahoo? That's probably it. Bigger. It's bigger than Bing, Yahoo, Ask, and AOL combined. AOL? That's AOL. still a search engine. AOL is still alive. It must be. Well, this wow. is what 
I just pulled this together. I guess this is from a few years back, some of these sources. Oh, okay. Um, uh, It's probably from, let me see here. I don't I don't necessarily know what year this was. The last year they have something. This is probably from about two or three years ago, that, that one statistic of adding AOL in there. Yeah. Uh, it is definitely still, if it was three years ago, the second search engine, it still is today. Um, but you've got Google being one and YouTube being second. Uh, that, and Google owns YouTube. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which is why Google could pretty much, Google and Disney will own everything by the, by, uh, by the time, you know, by the time something. <laughs> but um yeah exactly something what i'm gonna yeah. do now is share <laughs> some statistics or some numbers about youtube um some different things that i guess are just i, I found interesting it's it's 21 mind-blowing youtube facts and numbers and i'm not going to spend a ton of time on each one i'm just going to kind of read them off here a little bit and then uh there's a couple other areas to talk about some of the youtube um personalities and kind of how they got their start and then um, we'll go from there. Uh, YouTubers mastermind of Chad Hurley, Steve Chen, and Jod Karim. They created it in 2005 when they were all employees at PayPal. Yeah. So PayPal, not a parent company, but these guys not being too busy in their desks said, hey, you know it would be real fun is if we had <laughs> a video website. You don't know the magic that goes on out there. Yeah, who knows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the idea came to his founders at a dinner party. Um, in San Francisco when due to some email attachment error, they were not able to share the videos of the party that night. It is also said that the infamous um, situation uh, ha- also set the launching point of YouTube as Jod Kareem was not able to find footage of, of some different things that were wanting to be seen out there. Hey, did you see that? Hey, did you see that? Well, let me YouTube it. I mean, that's kind of, if I don't know something, I Google it. If I haven't seen something, YouTube it. Right. That's kind of where it goes. Yeah. Um, so the original intention, initially, YouTube was meant to be a dating website. But as the destiny played out what? its own games, what we got today is simply amazing. I don't know how. Uh, if you're supposed Did you just to, make a video of how great I, you were? Maybe it was a dating video of like like a speed dating situation. If it's just a film of you wow. and... I don't know. You they could have Sebastian sitting there saying, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm real good. good. Yeah. Dude, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Grabbed by a big fish, being a smart player in the market, it was Google who could catch the potential of this video-sharing website and offered a huge $1.65 billion in the very next year of the, intercept, in the, of the inception of YouTube. They sealed the deal in November 2006. So within yeah. about a year, these guys were worth $1.6 billion. I mean, that's That's crazy. pretty good. Yeah. The first video, do you guys know what the first video was? Uh, no. It's probably something with cats. No, even though that's definitely been something that's <laughs> talked about. The very first video on YouTube was launched in, at 8.27 p.m. on Saturday, April 23, 2005, where one of the co-founders, Jod Kareem, posted the video of his visit to the San Diego Zoo. Kareem <laughs> talked about elephant trunks, and the video is titled, Me at the Zoo. Or, Me at Zoo. Me at Zoo. Me at Zoo. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> Do you guys know the uh, most popular non-music video? Oh, wow. Well, I, I couldn't even... I couldn't even begin non music video. At this point, oh, at okay. this point, they could be changed now. These these um these have not been updated because I couldn't find a, a more updated fact checking thing. Yeah. So I realized this could be changed uh, between YouTube this has, and today. YouTube's own site has a they have a thing about all the stats and all the most played. Oh. 
It's it's YouTube.com slash stats or something. There's yeah. <laughs> At it, the time have one. of about three years ago is where I'm guessing this material I'm using about three years old. Uh, the most watched video that was not a music video was called Charlie Bit My Finger, oh. which is the Charlie. Oh, no. Yeah. At, really? At the to- yeah, seriously. Wow. 562 million views. I almost know for a fact that that's probably not the most viewed now, um, but I'm not entirely sure what it is. The number one music video is... Um, Don't say Justin Bieber. No, it's the Gangnam Style. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, which I in July, it was posted July 15th, and it became the first YouTube video to go over a billion views Within six months, December twenty first, two thousand twelve. Number the one of views with currently the pin is. And the apple has to be. That's got to be up there, up now. there now. Yeah, that one is. <laughs> that's unbelievable. YouTube crossed one trillion hits in two thousand eleven, which means one hundred and forty views per person alive on Earth. What? Now I've viewed a lot of videos, plenty in my time. I can account for two of those people. But <laughs> at least, yeah, at least. <laughs> But that means every person on Earth is watching a video 140 times in six years. It can't be right. It's it, plus whenever whenever a, um, a, a a YouTube video auto plays, that's counted as a play. Mm. So it's they're all very very bogus numbers. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, because it'll count as a play. Like if you're just clicking through and and the thing plays, the numbers are yeah. The numbers are. Dramatically inflated, yeah. As to reality. which is why when we get to the part about, uh, I talk a little bit about the money side of it. They're not; they don't get paid on plays because because of things like that. Uh, there are over seven thousand hours of full length movies and shows on YouTube, and it's continuously growing. Of course, uh, YouTube usage is tremendous. YouTube videos of length around five hundred years are watched every single day on Facebook. <laughs> YouTube yeah, videos of length too. around yes, they do. More than 1 billion unique users use YouTube each month. So you got a seventh of the world that use YouTube every month. Which I again, found it. I found the new numbers. Oh, good. From, not that I need to read all these. but <laughs> No, go ahead and give a few, YouTube, though. Give but, a few. But YouTube has a press section on their site, and then it has all the statistics about how many billions. You can navigate YouTube in a total of 76 different languages, 95% of the Internet population. There's all kinds of stats here about... Uh, as of July 2016, YouTube has paid out $2 billion to rights holders who have chosen to monetize uh, claims since the content ID first launched in 2007. So you're looking at $2 billion just to just to content holders for YouTube. But anyway, if you if you wanted to get more number, uh, more up to date numbers, they do have a, a press section on the YouTube yeah. site. They're not it's not it's not a lot, though. It doesn't give you like doesn't seem to give you like the most viewed video it's more about the company youtube right anything that's true that's true and that's what a lot of things are are, are like uh the all-encompassing uh amount of things they offer uh a couple other statistics and then we'll move on to some of the things uh, some of the other parts of this 400 hours of video per minute wow youtube statistics at the end of 2015 claim that more than 400 hours of video was uploaded on the site per minute um by the way, I have an update. This is from 2016 now. Uh, 833 million views uh, of Charlie Bit My Finger. That's still the number one uh, as of last year. Um, on mobile, viewers are spending an average of 40 minutes watching content every time they open the app. It's a lot of viewing hours. Now, that's just the mobile users, but don't forget just how many of them there are. Um, 
You can play snake when buffering. That's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Hello, the song by Dell got over 100 million views in five days. 100 million views, five days. 80% of views. Now, this was interesting. 80% of views from outside the U.S. I, I That seems high to me. I, I'm kind of shocked, but I guess... No, the population of the rest of the world yeah. is pretty large. China, it India. It is true. Yeah. So a fifth, a fifth of the viewers comes from America. But, you know, you China doesn't have... have YouTube? I'm pretty sure. Oh, wow. They, like, they are pretty strict against Google and Yeah, that is true. Huh. Gangnam Style is actually now up to 2.5 billion views. <laughs> That's amazing. Gangnam Style passed YouTube's original count limit. Uh, it nearly hit the two, 2.1 billion play count limit on YouTube's code. The coders were forced to quickly rewrite a few things to change the play count limit so they can all aim for... Oh, my word. Now it's like nine with about 18 zeros behind it. <laughs> is that high enough for you? Um, nine with 18 zeros behind it. Yeah. We don't even know what it is. Facebook There's, still has more users than YouTube. Yeah. And... Um, the pen pineapple thing. Oh yeah, the pen apple apple pen thing. Yeah, what's the original? Fifty have? million five hundred and twenty-one. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I, that yeah. doesn't even. And then everyone's uploading cat videos. You thought that was a joke, right? It's not. Uh, well, not entirely. Um, they they didn't ask how many videos are of cats this included, but who uploads just one video of their cat? <laughs> so those are just some some quick facts about it. So if you say. You know, maybe maybe this is something I want to get involved in. It seems like a pretty promising career. Well, for those of you out there listening, say, you know, I think that's for me. I, I think I think videoing myself, doing something, you know, whether it be a video game or singing or of your cat or maybe of skateboarding something, you know, just just find something unique. This is the road to greatness. Let me just share it with you right now. Part one, creating your YouTube niche. Or, for my friend, niche. niche. Decide what sort of YouTube account you'll have. Show off your talents. Create your channel. So that's step one. So it sounds so simple so Shouldn't far. Shouldn't you create your channel first and well, then show off your talents? Yeah, well, you gotta, you got to sh- get a video, and then you got to upload the video to the channel. So oh, okay. it can all be done in kind of a, a little bit of back-and-forth order. But part two, create your first video. Create a video with the info you want. Edit the video. But... Be aware of what tends to catch people's eye when deciding whether to watch a new video, especially from a new YouTuber. So you've got to have content like your little thumbnail and and words have to catch somebody's eye and make them want to watch it. Especially if you try to fool them. Put a picture of blood running out of your face, and then it's just a video of you jogging. Yeah, you just making cookies. (laughs) Because that's what happens to me sometimes. I'm like, what? What's that? You click on it. You have a picture of a cat, and it's like, not a cat video. Right. It's a dog. That would be the worst. (laughs) That is deception. (laughs) And then you upload the video. So part one, create your YouTube niche. So find out what you can do that other people can't already do better than you, or there's not a lot of. Honestly, I couldn't right now think of what I can do that somebody's not already out, already doing out there on, on YouTube. Then you have to create your first video. Part three, you <laughs> use clickbait techniques carefully. So, yeah. Okay. yeah, exactly. Use the title to spotlight the most notable features of your video. Use emotional features in your title. Use shocking concepts within reason. Use the thumbnail to spotlight the most important features. 
zoom to the most important elements, and respect the 180-degree rule, uh, which is in filmmaking, your thumb should feature your feature people that look at each other even if in the editing is unreal. And part four, developing and maintaining your fan base. And I tell you, after that first video, you could have a bunch of them. So tell all your friends and family. Don't count on it. Don't leave your fans <laughs> hanging. Be persistent and patient. And then lastly, part five is sharing your videos to build recognition. So put them pretty much everywhere you can. And you do those five things, part one, two, three, four, five, and uh, you're well on your way to stardom within the YouTube universe, that's for sure. But my last part of YouTube here, my last part, and then we'll take a break here, uh, are some unusual success stories of some YouTube stars um, that are that are pretty, pretty phenomenal. So I'm going to go with number eight and just read some pieces of these back to one. Uh, so this first one, number eight, so Sebastian and, and, and Chris will see how many we've heard of before, is Fred. Fred's made $146,000. I'm not sure that's, but I guess that's what it like says. Like a year? I or? think a year. I oh, think wow. a year, yeah. Um, the, only, the only Fred I know plays soccer on the Brazilian national team, or at yeah, least he Fred. did in 2014. Yeah, he did. Number, number nine, number He's seven. not a good player. The only one I know is of a Flintstone nature. <laughs> yeah, Fred Flintstone. <laughs> of a Flintstone nature. Yeah. So... On this site, they have their their story, but then they have a lesson. Some of these lessons are a little bit interesting. Uh, the character Fred describes himself as a six year old boy with worthless. This is he made he made up a a fictional character basically. He became a phenomenon on the web with over one point six million YouTube subscribers. So that's different than views. Views are somebody just watched your video. Subscriber are an individual that wants to know every video you put up there, so they subscribe to your channel and get notifications when you do put a new video in. Fred's high-pitched chipmunk voice and energetic character attract viewers to watch his videos in droves. Each of Fred's videos is new, fresh, and relevant to what is going on in the lives of kids right now. So what's the lesson? Aggressively engage social media to promote your YouTube channel. Through social networking websites such as Facebook and Twitter, you can let people in your circle know about your videos. So that's what Fred has done. Then you have Philip DeFranco, who has 181,000 or 1 billion views. 1 billion views from this from this one thing. Um, so this guy has, has gained popularity by making a video response and giving it hilarious twists. So this guy basically does, um, I don't know, like video makeover. Like he'll change it up and, and put his own twist on it and get people to look at his stuff that way, uh, look at his video that way. Uh, you have Shane Dawson. Some of these I've never heard of before. Uh, he's a 26-year-old uh, that is popular with his 12 million-plus subscribers across three different countries. Um, so this guy has, has – what's his lesson? Always look for opportunities to collaborate with other YouTubers with similar style and viewership. So these, these, these lessons are, are something else here. I'm, I'm learning so many things. Uh, Ray William Johnson. I haven't heard of him. Uh, but he's got 2.6 billion views. Uh, he's a blogger, video blogger, and um, has a lot of people that look at his videos. And they have Smosh. This Smosh. I think I know Smosh. Smosh is a YouTube comedy channel operated in, by Ian Hecox and Anthony Padilla, or Padilla. The producers behind the brand that was established in the fall of 2005 aren't newcomers to the internet. The co-founders started the whole phenomenon back in 2003 when he uploaded a few short flash animations of the Newgrounds website. A few months later, his friend, uh, Ian, started helping him, and the two still worked together on, re on each release. 
They went into the consideration of the YouTube group, and so now it's basically a comedy show. It's a, it's a comedy TV show, which is interesting that people can be more self-made with YouTube than ever before. Before, you had to have TV deals and all the rest, the whole nine yards. Now, you think you're funny? You think you can make people laugh? That was an idiom, okay. too, the whole nine yards. The whole nine, yeah, whole nine yards. That's yeah. in the T section, the whole nine yards. Um, <laughs> then we have the last three, and I don't know. Th- these kind of sum up the three parts of, of what attracts people to YouTube. Number one, or number three, counting backwards is Disney Collector BR. I think the BR stands for Brazil. Mm. Disney Collector. 1.51 billion views, made $5.1 million on this. Disney Collector BR is a famous YouTube channel owned by an anonymous Brazilian lady who frequently uploads, because I think if you look up her videos, she's never in it. It's just her arms and hands. Um, Who frequently uploads videos of Disney toys. Despite her anonymous status... Disney Collector BR is the most watched YouTube channel in the United States. Disney has entered into the child's world, and channel videos leave a spellbinding effect on children through the background music, voice, and instructions. Young kids love the opportunity to observe someone demonstrating how to engage with certain toys, which is why this faceless YouTube channel is consistently on the top list. In April, the channel was the third most seen around the world, coming in right after Katy Perry's channel. Well, there you go. People love watching toys. Number two. (laughs) Really? I guess. Yeah, it's in, wild. And is it in Portuguese? Because it's Brazilian, right? I don't think so. On the break, we're going to have to look that up. And when <laughs> you get out of your car, you can look it up. But seriously, it's like this <laughs> fanciful music as she unlocks you know, a Barbie doll or un- opens up. That's not a Disney toy. Well. Uh, it would have to be like a, well, a no, like Donald the, Duck the, or something. The pigs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Disney toys. You're right. You're right. Uh, number two is Blue Zephos, which is a gaming group. That basically has has gone to become almost like a, a mother company of a bunch of other people that have a channel with their sponsorship uh, because they did so well. Um, so there, I don't know if this is a combining all those channels that's under their umbrella or if it's their specific main channel. But the number one success story or or viewed individual or subscribed person is is called uh, a PewDiePie. <laughs> And uh, I'm not sure. Why. Oh, let me go back to why the things people watch is you have the kids who look at toys, you have the gamers, and you have the person that just wants to see a guy make a video every day. I, he, that's what he does. PewDiePie, also known as Felix Arvid Ulf Kledgeberg, or Gelberg, is a Swedish YouTube vlogger whose features who features basically concentrate on the domain of video games. That's where he started. Uh, he has broken various YouTube progress records, hope, hopping from 12 million supporters in August 2013 to more than 20 million six months later. PewDiePie didn't become successful just because of a sudden viral hit or a change in his YouTube presence. Instead, the reason behind his success is consistency. Gelberg uploads videos on his channel almost every single day. The moment he started getting popular, he built upon his success and never let up on his online presence. He invests heaps of time discussing his fans' inquiries in, in the comments and formed a famous group of bros where his fans can share his work with their friends. So what you have basically here with this guy is he has an audience or a group of people called bros or, or individuals that he, he connects with. And, and, and it's amazing how many individuals out there can find an online personality like him and basically seemingly try to relate to him 
and he just consistently makes videos. They watch him. They comment on it. The next video could be about their comment. All sorts of anticipation. And so, lo and behold, here you have this guy um, putting out there a ton of material. Now, interestingly enough, also what we have here in YouTube is the fact that they can get in a lot of deep trouble by saying things or, or taking a stance on uh, certain issues or just certain worldviews. And uh, that's pretty much exactly what happened to him. I'm not going to go into too much detail. You can look it up if you're really curious. But he basically... Uh, sorry. I thought I was going to sneeze, so I'm going to catch that the next time, but I didn't. Uh, he basically had said some things. Uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, misunderstanding in what was said. And so now he's lost some sponsorships in the matter. And if you know anything about being a YouTuber, your sponsorships are pretty much your income. So you lose those, and uh, you can be out of a job pretty quickly. So it is. Uh, you do still have to be careful of what you say. Uh, you, you are entitled to your own opinion, but you get enough people upset about that opinion, and it can begin to, to make a mess for you. So that being said, uh, it is always important to watch what you say and watch uh, what you... Um, I guess you could say some of your bros can become foes. Yeah, they can become foes in a hurry. Ooh, that was pretty good. One. That, that'll sell. <laughs> we, we should make a video uh, with that. Uh, that'll probably be taken and um, made into some sort of meme or gif and then uh, probably put I into a, a, a dubstep sort of video. <laughs> you know, how they take those things and just run with it. Anyway, not really. But um, interesting how, how the effect of YouTube has... Uh, on um, individuals that go there daily to watch uh, different fa- people they call they'd be fans of and um, so what we're going to do now is take a little break and then when we return I have one more um, one more thing on the on creative ways to make money on YouTube that's not making a video I'll run, run through that really quickly and then um, I'll get you updated on some of the current events or upcoming events over the next couple weeks here at Harvest and then uh, we'll come back with our final closing and thought of the day. So stay with us. We're right back. live till five a uh, couple more segments here before the top of the hour and the conclusion of our show uh, hopefully you enjoyed that very probably too in-depth look at some of the different youtube facts i was going to give one more thing here um, i just have 11 creative ways to make money on youtube that don't necessarily involve putting a video on there per se uh, you can use your youtube to get traffic to your website and blog so an advertisement basically uh, create products and promote them on youtube Sell others products and affiliate uh, and an affiliate marketer. Um, create a web TV series. Become a YouTube personality. That's kind of what we have most of here. Uh, monetize your videos with YouTube Partner Program. Uh, you can teach, uh, and that's one of the things that I've had to do before with master's programs is uh, is either teach a lesson or do a slideshow with um, with a voiceover uh, over the slides. And so that is one of the things I would say probably. A majority of the, I guess, adult traffic into YouTube, a lot of that would be the teaching. I know my wife has looked up French braiding and crocheting and 
and actually learned and, and does great with those things just from YouTube videos. Rubik's Cube. My son does Rubik's oh, Cube. Oh, there you go. With uh, YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah that that is uh, what I got not hooked on, but what I watched like a string of the other day, I was just watching like a bunch of the videos, was uh, the America's Got Talent um, oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. show. They were just showing like winners, like final yeah. Um, and they had a uh, Rubik's cube guy, uh, Rubik's cube guy on there, where he's got it down so fast where he can just throw a Rubik's cube up in the air and solve it. Like it's a few moves you do, so it looks messed up. But basically, he would you know look at this and be like, and it would pop and and be solved. Wow. So yeah, I don't <clears throat> begin to know how that's done, but I would definitely say uh, learning a skill and then being able to teach it in video form would be a way you can. Uh, uh, test market your products, become an expert on metadata, use keywords to get an audience, uh, build your brand using YouTube, or you have turn your child or pet into a star. And that is sadly another thing that's been done. Um, the pets, not, not so much, but I feel for the, for the kids that are, you know, well, I guess the Charlie bit my finger thing. That wasn't necessary. That was just a funny video that got turned into being hilarious. And, um, and then those those kids end up on all the shows and different things being interviewed, and it's like it was just an ex- exclamation of of something that happened in the home that turns into yeah. fandom. It's, you know, it's we, wild. We've gotten we got two things that we that we watch that we uh, as far as YouTube <clears throat> channels that we subscribe to and we watch all the time. the The first one is skateboarding videos. Mm-hmm. Now, my family <laughs> d- we don't have a skateboard in the household. We nobody Chris rides a skateboard. Grow up as a skateboarder. Actually, I did. You did? Yeah, I did. Oh. I rode skateboards when I was a kid. Okay, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. Okay? So, so I used to ride skateboards, but for some reason, we saw these videos by Braille skateboarding where <laughs> it was called "You Make It, We Skate It." So people would send in these crazy items that you could put trucks on, and then That's these hilarious. guys who are a few of them are professional skateboards skateboarders. They would do tricks on these skateboards that people send in that are just basically. On a door skateboard. Yeah, they do just all kinds of random items, you know, uh, an oar for a boat. Uh, They've (laughs) done, they did a, uh, they did a, um, a, uh, like a a sword. (laughs) They've done. That's crazy. They've done all kinds of just insane things. Glass skateboards. They've done, you know, all kinds of stuff. So the kids love that. They're like. They're so mesmerized by it. The thing we like about it is there's there's absolutely no foul language, yeah. no anything like that. It's totally clean, but the guys are just funny, you know. And they yeah, they that's just good. What they like is they do um they do uh, uh you know kind of the corny humor and the the play on words and everything. Uh, yeah. So it's they, the funny they the funniest that. part that we were laughing about at the break. Not this last one, but the one at the top yeah. of the hour was uh, that his kids now are basically picking up the the, the skater lingo, right. And talking about them ollieing things. Uh. My daughter, my seven year old <laughs> daughter, said that oh, when we get a skateboard, she's sure she can ollie the three stair. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Probably <laughs> grind on the on the handrail. Yeah, you know, all the way down. Oh my word! Kick flips and kick flips, yeah. tray flips, yeah. and all kinds oh, of yeah. crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah, you can't watch skateboarding videos and not know the lingo that you got to use now to to fit yeah. in with that. But the other one is I use it also to follow different sports teams that I like. Yes. So that's the other thing I subscribe, and I every night of the week I go home, I pretty much watch the interviews with the Seattle Sounders 
coaches, coaching staff, yeah. the different players, you know, what happened at training that day. And so I keep up to date yeah, with everything that's going on. Yeah, I, I like to I like to keep up you with like the team. You like to be in the know. So I know what's going on. But those are the two things on YouTube that – Frankly, use. yeah, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't, uh, it's like, I, couldn't I get on there those. a decent amount. Um, I, I, uh, it's a, it's a variance. Like I'm saying, I play occasional video, I, I play video games, but they're different. And I've watched videos of different guys explain something. Yeah. I don't do that. Um, try not to do it too often, uh, just cause it can just zap time away. But uh, it's definitely something that I've used it for. And also the teaching side. Like I've watched, try to oh, learn yeah. how to do something that's also helpful. Yeah. Um, but I think we have about 10 minutes left here. And, um, you want to take a break? Or? Yeah, let's take a quick break, and then I'll come in with the final thoughts of, of this uh, week's Live Till 5. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back to close out the show. Uh, you've been listening to Live Till 5. To close out the show, that song, if you've listened to the show before, is very familiar with this time. Uh, I do want to take a minute to encourage you with the verse, uh, verse of the week here, uh, but also invite you that we have men's prayer breakfast in the morning, at 8 o'clock in the cafeteria. Uh, you can bring your boys, uh, sons or son, and uh, join us there, or just bring a friend, bring yourself. Uh, boy, they'd be there for a, a time of prayer. I'm actually sharing tomorrow. I've never done that before, so I'm looking forward to doing that. And then uh, Sunday, we'll have uh, 9, 9.30 Sunday school, 10.30 is the regular service with 6 o'clock evening. And then we're very excited next to Wednesday, uh, a little less than a week uh, uh, from now, we'll start our, our annual missions conference. So between now and then, we'll have had, we'll be almost into our third night of missions conference uh, for the week. And so if you're able to come out any night at 7, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then next sa- uh, Sunday will be our, our final day of missions conference. But it's a really a neat and exciting time to meet some of the missionaries, some of the people that have given their life to uh, serve abroad, serve the Lord abroad, and, and be a ministry minis- missionary, excuse me, to um, whether it be a foreign country or or even those we have in the United States. But we'll have a handful from both some countries and then also from the islands around us called the Freshwater Retreat. So if you have an opportunity uh, to make it out for that, we'd, we'd love to have you. That'll start Wednesday at 7. Uh, we'll also have more about it on Sunday if you can make it to that. But uh, I always like uh, Jared makes mention of these things and invites people out. Because, uh, again, this show is, is a lot of fun and a lot of sometimes nonsense, but uh, what I want to challenge you to think about today and what I've actually in the last two weeks in my life skills class with my seniors uh, just discussing, I just asked them, I said, what, what gets you up in the morning? What, what, why the, what's the reason you desire to be? What's your purpose uh, is my key question there. And for some, I get some blank stares. Well, I've never thought about that before. Uh, for others, they seem to have a, a decent reason. 
But um, some of us, we can get set in our mind that this is the reason I am here and this is my purpose. And yet then at times life can throw a curveball at us and all of a sudden what we thought was was the right thing and, and I was going along and trusting the Lord and, and life was good, all of a sudden becomes question mark, questionable. And I just want to encourage you with this verse this morning. I'm actually going to use it as part of what I'm sharing tomorrow morning, but Romans 8, 28, very, very well-known verse. But when I ask that question, uh, the real question is not what's your purpose, but what's God's purpose with my life? And uh, that that's a different sort of thinking. That's not one that necessarily comes easy. But let me read the verse to you. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And again, I asked my students, I said, so what's your purpose? And I get a lot of different answers. Uh, this is what gets me uh, you know, up in the morning, and this is why I do what I do. And, uh, and for me as a Christian, uh, it, it is important I have some ambitions and some goals, but my goal needs to be, does it line up with what the Lord has for me? And, and constantly checking, what, what's God's purpose in my life? And uh, sometimes they don't line up, and that's where our self-will and that's where our own pride and things can get in the way. But if you've not asked, you know, what, what does the Lord have for me uh, today? And uh, one of those things is always to share uh, the good news of the gospel with people. And uh, I know that is always one of God's purposes for our life, uh, reason we're here on earth. Uh, but it may be to help out the next-door neighbor. It may be to do something for somebody you haven't done in a while, write a note of encouragement, write a thank-you note. Um, there's always uh, something that we can um, do for the Lord. And and that that sort of thing brings uh, some real satisfaction and some real purpose to life. And I'm thankful for those things. I'm thankful that the Lord gives us an opportunity to be salt and light in this world, uh, in a very dark world. And that's another reason why I like Missions Conference, is people uh, that have given their life to go, some of them, like uh, I think of the home shares that will be Skyping with us, hopefully, uh, are, in, are in a country that the gospel is not looked kindly upon. Uh, let's just say that. And yet they are there uh, to be salt and light for the Lord. And that is a purpose that can get anybody, uh, a dedicated Christian, up in the morning. And that's exactly what God wants, uh, is those sort of things working together for him. So I appreciate uh, those of you that have joined us uh, for these couple of hours. If you watch the, or listen to the whole thing wall to wall, I know that's not likely for many. Uh, it is very difficult to catch a whole show. But I do thank you for for your um, your listening and and uh, also if you would like to hear it again, we'll be playing it again tomorrow from noon to two, and from seven to nine on Sunday night. Uh, I know that next week we'll have Jared back with us. Things will be uh, normal from three to five again. But I've I've been thankful for Chris and Sebastian jumping in today, and then of course hosting the last couple of weeks. And uh, again, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Mine's per breakfast or 9.30 or 10.30 on Sunday morning for the service. And then our mission conference starts at 7 uh, next Wednesday. So you have a wonderful weekend, and uh, we'll look forward to being back with you uh, a week from now. And uh, so have a great weekend. We'll talk to you later.